You know, every time I speak, I want the truth to come out. You know what I'm saying? Every time I speak, I want to shiver. You know, I don't want them to be like, they know what I'm going to say because it's polite. They know what I'm going to say. And even if I get in trouble, you know what I'm saying? That Ain't that what we're supposed to do? It's, I'm not saying I'm going to rule the world or I'm going to change the world, but I guarantee that I will spark the, the, the brain that will change the world. Truth Seekers, please understand, Mental Dialogue is much more than just a talk show. Each and every Saturday, we communicate with you for two reasons, to dialogue and connect. On the dialogue side, we cater to you intellectual outcasts who feel you have no place for honest discourse on race, sex, culture, and African-American business. On the connect side, we've created a community where you can connect with experts specifically in finance, whether personal or business, and mental health, whether it's trauma or to optimize performance along with all the other skill sets from other MD community members. Our mission was to create a virtual nationwide neighborhood where African Americans learn to trade ideas, goods, and services through social media, meetups, and this podcast. To become a neighbor of the Mental Dialogue Community Club, please visit us at mentaldialogue.com. We are better with you than we are without you. We can be neighbors even though we don't live next to each other. Hashtag raise the coach. I'm your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates, and welcome to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. We are the return of intelligent radio as we ensure the free flow of opinions and push the envelope on the questions America's afraid to ask in the mainstream media. So glad to have two of our most famous returning guests. Been holding me down for plenty of years. Anytime I get these two brothers on, it is radio magic. So let's make magic today. As I reintroduce again, returning guests William Agnew and Michael Sutler the second. Thank you, Kings, for both being on. Before we let the cat out the bag on this morning's discussion, Michael, we'll start with you. If you will say hello to the intellectual outcasts out there listening, and give them a little bit of your background as it relates to this morning's discussion question. You know, in terms of relating to this discussion, everybody, uh, good morning. I guess let's start there, uh, but. You know, I was an engineer for a long time, a rocket scientist, if you will, and I actually turned my talents to the financial markets and uh, ran a commodity trading advisory and still do uh, since 2010, actually. And then I moved on to start up Blacks Academy, which is basically a financial online education platform that teaches people how to think about the financial markets and how that they can be involved in a way that's not faddish, in a way that is actually real and responsible, and we're trying to teach them some skills such that they can be world changers, you know, generational curse breakers, all that sort of thing. So that's me. Hey, I love it. In a nutshell, if you will, a lot in that, a lot in that shell, though, brother. Uh, if you will, uh, <laughs> we, Agdu, you don't need an introduction on this show again, as you've been holding me down and supporting me for years as well. But if you will. Let people know about your background as it relates to this morning's discussion as well. Thank you for being with us, King. Absolutely. No problem, man. And, um, you know, it's funny. I just I didn't realize Michael and I have such a parallel when it comes to our uh, history. I, too, uh, engineering is my background. Um, yep. I got an MBA in business and worked for Intel Corporation. Uh, you guys might know who that is. They make the little brains for the computers. Mm-hmm. And... Um, did that for about eight years and, uh, you know, just got kind of tired of the corporate corporate structure and wanted to do something different, you know, and always had a little entrepreneurial itch that I needed to scratch. 
And so much like Michael, right, I got into um, doing my own business doing cell phone repair. It was, uh, it, w- it was close to the technology uh, thing that I liked, and I thought it was a, a great niche to be in. And what's interesting about that uh, as it relates to Michael is instead of going in the franchise route, we decided to open a school and teach, right, people, right. And teach people how to do what we, what, we, what we did very well. We thought we did it very well. We did it better than other people. Um, and so we said, you know, we're getting a lot of people to ask us, how do you do something like this? So it kind of sparked that brain, like Tupac said, and, you know, and we went down that path of, of teaching people how to open the store, how to do the repairs, how to, uh, you know, uh, source the inventory, manage, you know, everything that business requires. And so we, we did that. I still do that to this day. And uh, it, it, it's actually more profitable than the business was, believe it or not, uh, to teach people. So, uh that's kind of what I got into, and then that just led into more entrepreneurial uh, endeavors, and, you know, I'm here. Yeah, well, I'm sure we'll get into some yeah. of those, because I'm pretty sure it hasn't been a smooth sail, you know what I mean, to the top. You know Man, what I mean? no. Admire both of you for your ability to be in this space. I always like to highlight, uh, in a sense, because, again, both of you technically are, are entrepreneurs, if you will. But I always like to highlight for as much as people push everyone in a sense to own a business or have a business, which is a great push, I'll highlight that it is a unique skill set for people to be full-time entrepreneurs. Uh, I think about 11% of the country is a full-time entrepreneur that goes anywhere from 16 to 20% once you start adding in part-time business owners, if you will. Um, But, you know, we're not talking about just business today. But at the end of the day, this morning's discussion question is my biggest investments mistake investment mistakes what did i learn from them my biggest investment mistakes what did i learn from them and so quite often uh i think i bore mark ranger always puts it in this context three ways people get rich in this country and that's via the stock market uh business or real estate for the most part so all three of those are potential investment opportunities and I'm pretty sure both of you have stories in more than one area versus even just your area of expertise. But I thought what we could do today was to answer this question. And it's in the lesson learned, in my opinion, that people rarely ever hear. Quite often you could say, hey, the 2008 you know, market crash, and I lost a lot. I saw, I was, you know, as I was preparing for this show, for example, I saw Antoine Walker, um, pretty infamous now for all the money he made in the NBA and uh, unfortunately eventually losing most of it, uh, make it up to $110 million, if you will, while NBA player. But he highlighted that he lost the majority of the bulk of his money uh, via the housing market crash. And so I'm um, just kind of highlighting that people will share, hey, there, here's where I lost. But there's usually these lessons that come out of what you learn and we rarely hear those stories. So that was kind of the idea of saying, hey, let's do a show where people kind of break down not only what happened to them, but what they learned from them. And so with that said, Michael, I'll start with you um, a couple of minutes before first break. When you first heard the question worded this particular way, my biggest investment mistakes, what did I learn from them? Uh, can you remember what popped in your head when you saw that question? Oh, you know, man, always because – I've been full-time since 2015, um, but, you know, that start, even though I'm, I'm almost 10 years away from it, the lessons that I learned are still very fresh 
you know, the wounds that, that happened are still, you know, they're still there. You know, they're scabbed over and, and, and things of that nature. But all of this stuff, I can think of two major things, and they were the biggest mistakes I'd ever made. But they also were the biggest chances and opportunities for me to grow, not only as a business person, but just as a human. And so, yeah, uh, I got two of them. You know, I, it depends on how we take it. I'll, I'll, I'll go with it. But, yeah, we, we nah, I got two of them good. that came to mind. Nah, sounds good. Sounds good. Um, what thought came to your mind when, you, when I said, hey, man, you want to add into this show? You know, you are, you know, anytime you and Michael on, you know it's going to be a good thing. But as far as that particular <laughs> question, did anything pop in your head um, when you saw that question? Absolutely. You triggered my trauma, man. I got trauma from me, you know. That, 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 that you know what I mean? Exactly. Like, trigger one. I can, you know, I can only so, you know, it's um, real estate for me, same thing back in 2000, 2000, about 2002, 2004. You know, I got caught up in the hype also, which is probably around the same uh, time that Antoine Walker was talking about. Mm-hmm. Right? It was. was and everybody's familiar with what went down, you know, if you were in that housing market at that time where you had the big bubble, you know, and some people got in at the right time. Some people got in at the wrong time. And, you know, some people who got in the wrong time got burned. Me, I was kind of in the middle. I could dig. You know, I could dig. Now, let's do yeah. it. Let's do it. Let's get to this break and let's, get, you know, jump out and talk about those mistakes. And ultimately, more so than the mistakes, what did you actually learn? And for anybody out there listening, you could definitely jump in and give us your situations and what did you learn? Because the goal is to maybe pick up some seeds for anybody that's looking to invest, already investing, or just what can you learn from others' mistakes so that you don't have to go through it. So we'll be right back. You're listening to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show, where all I ask is that you think. Calling all married couples. Have you planned your Valentine's Day weekend getaway? If not, we recommend you reignite your passion in your marriage at the Oneness Experience Weekend, February the 16th through 18th, 2024. Brought to you by Enduring Love Ministries, hosts Roosevelt and Renita Quick, authors of The Power of Agreement and 30 Years of Marriage Experience, ask couples to reconnect, rekindle, and recommit to their marriages. Are you yearning for a deeper, more purposeful connection in your marriage? If so, the oneness experience is for you and your spouse. Taking place in the beautiful Blue Ridge Mountains of North Carolina, experience an anointed weekend with plenty of couples activities, marriage enrichment sessions, such as the strength of seduction and ample quality time together. Again, the Oneness Experience Weekend takes place February the 16th through 18th. For registration details, please visit Enduring Love Ministries International at E-L-M-I-N-T-L dot org. Again, that is E-L-M-I-N-T-L dot org. Tickets are going fast. Here I am winning the national championship, and three companies came in, Converse, Adidas, and Nike. Nike was just a year or two old. Converse offered me the most money. So, you know, when you grow up broke, you, you take the money. Phil Knight came in and said, hey, I can't offer you the same type of money, but I can offer you stock. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't trying to hear that then. I wasn't trying. I wasn't trying to hear that then. And I didn't know nothing about it. And my family didn't come from money. Yeah. See, that's mm-hmm. one thing that hurt us sometimes. When you don't come from money, you, you don't, don't know. know. I didn't even know what right. stocks was at right. that time. So I passed on the stocks. 
Can you imagine 45 years, $5 billion that stock would have been worth today. But let me say this. When you don't know something, that's okay. It's when you know and then you make mistakes. I'm a person who live in the moment. And if something happened to me that wasn't good, I leave it in the past and I keep moving forward. That's who I am. Welcome back to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. I am your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Soccer Cheese. This morning's discussion question, my biggest investment mistakes. What did I learn from them? Special guest, Michael Sutherland, as well as William Agnew. As we hear Magic Johnson break down. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? He's supposed to, he, he's supposed to be like Mike. He, him, and, him and Bird had the converse. He took the money. It's a lot to learn in that. A lot that's yeah. layered for sure. Nah, it is. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. And just to give props, that was him on the um Up and Smoke uh podcast, just to give them their props, if you will. But Michael, um yeah, he is is as, as successful as we consider him, he like five billion that would have been worth today. <laughs> right. But yeah. hey, right. how do you that's know? That, that's that drama. Company, you know what I mean? <laughs> Upstart company, uh, they new to the game. You know, you kind of go with what you know, and that's pretty common. But I would assume he would consider that his biggest mistakes. But um, if you will, I just got to get both of y'all thoughts on you know hearing that cut, and then we'll you know get into how people in a sense can make quote unquote mistakes from what they don't know, which I think is to a degree what Magic was alluding to there. But go ahead, Michael. Any thoughts? Oh well, so here's the thing. You know, you have Magic Johnson talking that, but you also I can take it to. You know, Warren Buffett, uh, Warren Buffett basically says that, you know, if he had done things differently, instead of having $100 billion, he would have had close to a trillion dollars. You know, so the one thing I will tell people that there's a misconception that, you know, you're not going to or you shouldn't make mistakes while investing. Investing by its very nature, entrepreneurship by its very nature is messy, is complicated, it's dangerous to a certain, to a certain degree, uh, at least financially. It uh, could be emotionally as well. So my slant on this, you know, is like you've got to understand that you're, if you're going to undertake this stuff, you're going to take some losses. You're going to take some colossal losses. You're going to you're going to lose out on many many opportunities. But that's the nature of the game. And a lot of us that you know have academic backgrounds and you know we've gone through school and we've had success other places, we're not used to that. We're not used to failing forward. We're used to, oh, well, I'm going to do it right the first time and all that sort of stuff. So I would say, like, you know, right off the bat, in this in this space, mistakes are a given. They're, they're the only real guarantee. You're not guaranteed to get any profit. You're not guaranteed to make millions or billions or whatever, but you're guaranteed to, to you know, have losses. Now, the question is, what do you do with them? No, absolutely. Um, if you will, uh, William, any thoughts again on that magic cut? And then we'll start getting into some of your individual situations, if you will. But just, you know, hearing Maddie be like, oh, man. You know what I mean? But he, you know, but like you say, you know, you heard him on there. He grunted like, oh. I mean, I mean, the hindsight is twenty twenty, right? And, and here's the deal. Yeah. Like, there's always, I don't even look at it like mistakes. And that's the thing. That's the mindset you kind of right. get into when you get into an investment mindset. It's not mistakes. It's regrets that Magic Johnson has, but it's not a mistake, right? Because today, Magic passes on deals. And that is part of the game. You're always going to be passing on deals. That's part of the game. So it's not a mistake. It's actually a, it's actually a, uh, 
a, 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 a tool, like a, it, it's something that, it's a skill set to be able to pass. I like that. You understand what I'm saying? Especially when you yeah, have yeah, the ability. Yeah, 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 I like that. Especially when you have the ability to play, right? Because once you get in that space, you can't say yes to everything. And just like Michael said, there are going to be times when you're going to be happy you said no to stuff. So 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 for magic, I understand what he's saying. Like he has regrets that he that he didn't take that deal, but it's not a mistake because he learned from that experience. And and, and if you're gonna get into investing, that's part of the game. It's learning, it's taking yeah, every decision is not gonna be the right decision by far. The idea is to make more good decisions than bad. It's just like gambling, right? It's just like you wanna win more than you lose. Right. And that's, that, that's, that's how you profit, right? If you lose more than you win, right, then we're, we're going home for the season. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, but, the idea, but the idea is not to win every game. It's to win a, a certain percentage of them. So, and, and in some of those cases, like Magic, you just might miss the big pick, right? But the idea is to be consistent in your principles and what makes you make those decisions and then if you make the wrong decision, reevaluate it, come back to it and say, look, why did I miss that? What research, what wasn't I tapped into? What didn't I understand about the potential of what that mm-hmm. was, right? That's what you're learning from. Because that, there's uh, a great possibility that that same situation, that same cyclical situation is going to return, right, when you got to be ready for it. And this is what life is in investing. If you, if you study Warren Buffett, right, Michael talked about Warren Buffett. Warren Buffett is a very patient individual, yes. very patient. So when he sees something that looks like gold, you, he's one of the few that will press his brakes, right, because he understands through his experience, right, the, the behavior and the cyclical nature of those things that present themselves. Nike wasn't the only game in town, and they're not the only multibillion-dollar, you know what I'm saying, situation. You know what I'm saying when it comes to that industry. Mm-hmm. So you just got to be ready for that next time around. And I think, you know, that's what I take from that. Like Magic made a – he made he has a regret, but he didn't make a mistake, if that makes right. sense. Right. No, it makes a lot of sense. And, not, and Nike big. was nothing compared to, you know, Converse at the time. You know, that's the right. thing. Nike was the, the, the upstart, you know. So it was, they were like, Nike, who's Phil Knight? And, you know, who's this? Nobody, yeah. you know. Right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, he would have nah, a crystal ball. You know what I mean? He would have had to have a crystal ball to make the right decision because it didn't make sense at the time. And if it doesn't make sense, it doesn't make sense. And that's part of right. being an investor. You have to do the knowledge. You have to go with the gut. You have to do your, you know, you have to dot your I's, cross your T's. And then at the end of the day, you make the you make the decision that makes the best logical sense. All 10 of us would have went with Converse. Right, exactly.
product of the service, it's a lot of things that come into play, a lot of things that come into play that make things have the value, the valuation that it has. And it's, you know, so. Now, that makes sense. Yeah, let me, let me, yeah, let me, yeah, let me jump in yeah, real quick. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. And and the thing that, that I'm hearing, at least with that example, again, what I'm hearing is, like, when people are starting to invest, maybe, I don't know when people have these conversations, but there's there's always a lot of conversation that I, I like how y'all are correctly calling these are maybe investment regrets, but they're not necessarily mistakes. But I just right. know that when people are generally talking about investing, there's always, you know, like the the big, the biggest fish story, fishing story, right? Like, man, I should have invested in this or I knew this or whatever. And so people kind of sit around the water cooler, if you will, when it comes to talking about investments and uh, in a sense, talk about the things they missed out on. And so to a degree, it's almost like we, we consider the, we consider them mistakes to y'all point, but I also wonder is it also like in a lot of cases tell me like trepidation on even getting into investment, especially when it comes to our culture in the sense of like, man, we kind of hold on to the woulda, coulda, shoulda. And it actually, sometimes I think it slows down people stepping into investment. I don't know if that even makes sense, but I know you study this from a psychological standpoint, Michael, but any thoughts on that or is it just common whether people are investing or not just to still talk about what would have, you know, I missed the big fish. Is that just a common thing or does it kind of scare people to jumping into investing? I don't know if I'm owning something, but that's just something I think I've seen. Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, it, to me, I think it goes between those who have a lot of investing experience uh, the people that I talk to, you know, now versus people I talked to 10 years ago, we were always backwards looking. Man, we could have done this, we could have done that. At this point in time, man, you know, it's it's more about, you know, looking back and like we was saying, I'm glad I missed out on on not doing that. And I can think of a, you know, mm-hmm. more than a dozen. Man, I'm glad I didn't do that. You know, whereas you're always gonna in in. When I'm even when I'm like I have lots of students now at Blacks Academy, you know, and they're always talking about, well, man, I missed out on this or I missed out on that. Uh, the one thing that you really think about, especially coming from our community, it's a real hurdle to get over once you get into real like risk taking because that's not a, mm-hmm. you know, if if you come from a spot where you only have limited resources, you understand at a very deep subconscious level that. Mm-hmm. This is your last $2 or this is your last mm-hmm. whatever it is. Mm-hmm. I, I don't care what you said. Nobody's jumping out of a plane without a parachute. You know what I mean? And a right. lot of times investing really looks and feels like that. And I will promise you, even for me, I've been doing this for a very, very long time. There is still some fear and trepidation every time I commit myself with some capital to an investment. 100%. And I mean, again, I'm, I'm almost 20 years into it, but there's still some some sense of fear because it goes all the way back to, you know, my upbringing, what money is to me, what money was to me, and all these other things along my journey. And we have to be very sensitive to that. Can you can you remember a point? I don't know if it affected. Maybe when, you know you said you have a couple things in mind. We have to necessarily jump into them right away. But can you recall, in a sense, um, when a fear played a big role in you missing something? Is that if, if I don't know if I can put you on the spot like that, but <laughs> man, uh, like there are there are so um, there's so many of them. But let, let's see. One of the bigger, I think one of the bigger things early on for me was 
I got really lucky after the Great Recession, you know, I made some money uh, in the markets. And the world was falling apart in like 2008, or at least so it seemed. And I can mm-hmm. still remember there was this uh, – in Huntsville, Alabama, there were these nice, like, townhouses and this thing that's called Providence now. It's a very booming area. Uh, it looks like it's always been there, but I've been here in Huntsville since 2003, and there was nothing there. But I remember when these apartments came up, and I actually had cash enough to buy an apartment because they were going for like three fifty, you know, three three hundred fifty thousand. But mm-hmm. because of you know the the recession hit, uh, some of them were going for as little as like they were like, hey, we will give this to you for one hundred ten thousand dollars. I still look back at that point where I had the cash in hand had the opportunity, was still working a job, a really nice job. Like it wouldn't have made me much difference if it if the money went away, right, because it came quickly. I passed mm-hmm. on it. Those things now, you know, six, seven hundred, eight hundred thousand, you know, there's tons of them. I could have bought three or four of them, you know, and that's just one of the many times where it was like that grip of fear, even with me having the resources, having the knowledge, all the other stuff kind of kept me back from, you know, a really, really good opportunity. And I drive, I drive past there probably uh, five or six times uh, a week. <laughs> you know? I'm just looking, and and, 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 and there's Trauma. more stuff coming up. So it's just, it's kind of like that magic moment. So. <laughs> Trauma. Ooh, cool. What about yeah, it's you? Trauma, um, man. <laughs> gotta live in that drama, man. Live in that drama. Yep. They make you a better yeah, man. You gotta be reminded seeing them joints. Yeah, I would, I would yep. at least drive a different way if I was you. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's great. It's great food spots over there now. You know, wine shops. Like the place is, has burned. Like the investment would have probably turned eight to tenfold. To be honest. Wow. Yeah. Easy. Wow. Well, yeah, you see, now, see, now you done normalize your trauma. You over there eating over there and everything. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I look up William, and say, man, I could have lived there, you know. And I could right. Hey, William, what about you, brother? Um, again, talking about what y'all are now technically calling these regrets, if you will, and we'll get into oh. y'all individual stuff after the break. But um, any fear that kept you from taking advantage of something that, you know, you regret, if you will, because yeah, we, oh, I think absolutely. we have to talk about that when it comes to, you know, in a sense, our community just being yeah. fearful of even moving into the investment space. Go ahead, brother. I think that's, I got two of them that stand out really clear that are just recent that most people, most of your audience might connect to. Number one was pandemic, right? The, the stock market mm. crash. No, knowing yep. that, you know, just seeing that everything was at the bottom, right? And it was an open, you know, it was like a yard sale for, you know, to get in. Right. And because of the pandemic and the fear and the unknowing of what the future was going to be in regard around stocks and companies and businesses and everything shutting down. Right. I was I have paralysis analysis. So right. just analyzing and analyzing and analyzing and saying, wow. And, you know, just not knowing where the world was going to go like everybody else was sitting at home. Right. We're holding tight to our money at that time. But that was that was actually I regret not putting my money into the market at that time because like everybody saw things went through the roof after that thing turned back on. Number two, which like a lot of people made a lot of money during the pandemic, believe it or not. Some people made more money than they ever made, but those were guys right. that were probably more seasoned and older and kind of understood the nature of what that was and were willing to take the risk, even not knowing and not experiencing you know that type of uh, problem in their lifetime. Uh, number two was the stock market. I mean, the, um, the the housing market, when it crashed, the bounce back, mm. right? I saw it. Like, I participated, and that's what I was talking about a little earlier, 
I got in kind of in the middle, but my play was to just investment play. So I was going to wait, and I was trying to avoid those capital tax gains, and anybody in, in real estate <laughs> knows what I'm talking about, right? I don't want to pay the tax on my gains. So, you know, a couple of houses I had that I was living in, right, I wanted to make – I wanted to, you know, do the, the 24 months, the, 12, the 24 months, so I didn't have to pay the capital tax. But I got caught in that holding period, right? And so what happened is two months before the bubble popped, Right, two months. I was gonna put my I was gonna put my houses on the market in two months, right? And I'm telling you, I, my equity I had like two hundred fifty thousand dollar you know equity in it, you know. And I had bought. I give you an example. One of the houses I bought bought it at one hundred fifty thousand, right? In the middle of that run, that house was what I could have sold that house for two hundred seventy five thousand dollars, right? And I held it, I held it, and I waited, <laughs> and I got caught in that I got caught in that downturn. Now here's the regret. I didn't make money. I, I, I did make some money because I took some equity out and I never had to pay that equity back because of the nature of the, the predatory lending, right? So that's the money that I made. <laughs> that's but, in reality, but, but, but in reality, I didn't make money on the, uh, the, the, uh, the increase of the value of the house. It, it dropped all the way back to 150 and I ended up having to short sell that house. Now, that being said, wow, that market bounced right back. But what I was scared of was that, that experience that I had. So I saw people exactly. jump in. I saw mm. people jump right back. I saw I saw two newlyweds, right, in the house I was living in, two newlyweds. They had no idea of what had just happened. They were fresh in the market looking for a house. So they took advantage of the crash. They bought the house at the low. And in six months, they turned around and flipped the house. For, they did exactly what I was going to do in six months. <laughs> so a lot of it is, <laughs> if, that, if that makes sense. So one thing I want people to understand is when it comes to investment, a lot of it is just timing. I've seen people win and lose. Yes. I've seen people win everything and lose everything on an asset that doesn't change. The house never changes. It looks the same, yep. but the person that was in it before lost everything. The person that's yeah. in it now, new life. <laughs> wow. Same wow. Let's go to this cut, man, and let's keep digging into, if you will, the mindset again. I just want to, because I think that's where we have to start, right, Michael? And you can talk more about that, that after the break, before we even get into your actual mistakes and breaking down, you know, say what you were going through. But it's literally a mindset on being in this space. And the reason I think we have to um, can reiterate this, the reason we have to keep discussing this is because even people who say, I don't know that stuff, or I haven't learned that stuff, in a sense, they're not investing is, 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 can be considered a mistake as well. And they have to realize that even people that are good at it really are dealing with the exact same things that everyone's Absolutely. dealing with. They're just learning how to do it in a space where there's opportunity. And so I think, again, we have to get into the mindset. So we will listen to this cut from Jordan Peterson, just kind of breaking down some of that mindset. And I want to hear y'all thoughts out of this cut. Accustomed to keeping things in the fog in general, you're going to keep yourself in the fog with regards to your investments because in some sense everything you do is an investment, right? I mean, some of it's quantified in monetary terms, but you're always investing in one manner or another. And so I think if your character has been disrupted by your persistent attempts to deceive yourself about the nature of reality, you're going to be a financial train wreck. And I mean, I've certainly seen that in my clinical practice. I've seen people burn through amounts of money that you wouldn't think someone could burn through in that short a period of time because of self-deceptive blindness. If you have a high IQ and you're conscientious, which is another trait, then you're more likely to be financial, financially successful, say, by the time you're in middle age. And so that looks like 
a temperamental, two temperamental traits whose presence enables you to beat randomness over time. So those, those traits work very well in this society at that, this time, but you can also argue that that's also a matter of chance because there wouldn't be unconscientious people if at some point in the past unconscientiousness hadn't aided their survival. Right. So what constitutes beating a system depends on the parameters that you put around the system. And, you know, you can think the same thing about, well, look at how successful he is. Okay, you mean financially. All right, so then, well, how's his health? How's his marriage? How are his relationships with his children? What price did he pay for his wealth? You know, like as you, as you add dimensions of evaluation, whether that particular person won or lost might not be so self-evident. Mm-hmm. Well, they gamble partly because it's fun. You know, like, and I mean that technically. Most of the neurochemicals that your brain produces that are associated with the kind of pleasure that people really like, which is like, for example, the kind of pleasure that drugs like cocaine produce, are produced by um, risky, high risk behavior that has the potential for high return. We like that sort of thing. And people are wired so that they're more responsive to the probability of something good happening than even to the good thing. So, for example, we know that if people win the lottery, a year later they're about the same as they were. No better, no worse. So, actually winning all that money has a limited long-term impact on their happiness. That's probably more determined by their trait temperament. But the lead-up to the good event, that's the exciting part. It might happen. It might happen. That's excitement. And that's produced by, like gambling will produce that, especially for some people, because some people are really susceptible to that kind of reward. Everyone's susceptible to it to some degree, and that can be manipulated, and that's what uh, slot machines do. Welcome back to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. I'm your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates. This morning's discussion question, my biggest investment mistakes, what did I learn from them? Special guests, Michael Sutler at SC Capital, as well as serial entrepreneur William Agnew. Just heard Jordan Peterson breaking down a lot in that cut. And I would highlight, just to start here, Michael, you can go deeper if you like, but I'll highlight at the very end where he's highlighting how the possibility of something is so rewarding right the lottery for example and it's so rewarding in our minds that people will do that over learning any of if you will some of the skill set that you and William will bring to the table today and never knowing they're taking the bigger risk if that even makes sense so it's like the unwillingness to jump into these markets if you will is actually quite often more riskier than most people would even realize based on some of the things Jordan Peterson just pointed out. At least that's kind of where I would like to start. Any thoughts from you, King? Well, you know, so I had to kind of put that out here out there too that, um, and this is almost like a rote disclaimer that still, you you know, a lot of people don't really belong in the stock markets at all. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, just like they don't don't belong gambling. I have to say that, you know, because of, you know, the makeup of, you know, our minds are accustomed to keeping things serotonin. in the fog. Sorry about that. No, no, dopamine, serotonin, things of that nature. Um, you know, risk-taking and thrill-seeking 
if you're taking that attitude to the financial markets, you're kind of in the wrong place because it, that's not really what it's supposed to be because true investing you know, to the point to where you see success, and I've, I've seen it because I, I kind of evolved into it. It was very exciting when I first started. It was like you say, it was it was that high, it was that that dopamine hit. Like yeah, that's all I. It was very consuming, but now it's actually very boring, very mundane. But mm-hmm. its point is to make me money. Like it's the point is not to get me excited. You know, I have other things in my life that are to fulfill those roles, but. That's one of the things that we have to break down, and that's why I say, you know, actually investing in things. As much as I would like people to be in it, a lot of people don't belong in it simply because they have to reconfigure how they're looking at it. It, You know, and I have that discussion about when we talk about, like, gambling. Sure, there is an element of gambling that is like that in investing, or and, and definitely if you take investing and split it off into trading which is, again, a much more short-term, much more uh, cocaine brain type activity. But mm-hmm. for both of those things, the thing about uh, gambling is the house has fixed rules where the – whether you're talking about real estate or stock market or private businesses, uh, there's no real rules. The, what mm. could happen is unbounded. Like what could – and that's the thing that has taken me the longest time really to understand – being like William saying, I'm a calculating brain, you know, even up to the point of analysis paralysis. But what I've learned is no matter how much I calculate, there's still stuff that exists outside of what I can see, just limitations of who I am. And that stuff happens, and that stuff has a lot of impact on the outcome of whether you make money, not make money, uh, you know, you look like an idiot or whatever, you know. So that's, that's a big part of, like, what he's talking about at the end. Uh, makes sense. We've got a caller that wants to jump in. Six seven eight last three zero nine seven. Give us your name, where you're calling from, and your three cents on this morning's discussion. Zero nine seven, you live on the air. All right, maybe they didn't want to get in. Zero nine seven, you live on the air. Hello, how, how you doing? doing? Hey, how you doing? Hello? You live on the air if you want to jump in. Yes. You are right. you trying to jump in? Yeah. So you raise your hand. Yep. No, nah, I'm trying to jump in. I'm sorry about that. I was listening to what he was saying. And um, just talking to the investor. This is Clive. And what I was saying was was that, as he said about the investing, <clears throat> most people want to gamble. It's the same thing in business. People don't – when a business is really good, it's boring, right? But we, but we yeah. only parade out the winners. Right? So people want to get into business. It's like, oh, it's exciting being an entrepreneur, da-da-da. People always like, Clive, what's your day-to-day? And I'm like, it's really very boring. It's meetings, execution, project work, right? right. Like, I don't even know what to film, <laughs> right? You know what I'm saying? So <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the big thing. It's just it's a routine. But when you're beginning and you don't know investing, you don't – I don't – I'm not an investor, right? Like, I'm one of those people that you talk about don't belong in the market because – <laughs> I under, I want to be good at it, and I understand what it takes to be great at it, right? So right. I, I don't have to – I'm like, oh, nah, you know what? I invest in what I, I in my business. I'm great at this. This is what I do. So I go. And a lot of people, it's marketed out there because people don't care because our goal is profit, not for the well-being of people. So even though we know some people don't belong in it, there's still a market for it, and we're just like, hey, you know what? Mm. 
we, we, hey, you should come in here. And that's one of the that's one of the problems. Even with entrepreneurship, I don't I don't I don't try to go after people and be like, you need to be an entrepreneur because there's a big culture investing in trading in entrepreneurship where people are like, you work for somebody, you're crazy. You're not in the stock market. You're missing out on all this money. And I'm like, yo, most people lose money. Most businesses right. fail. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and that's one of the big things that I that I, I wanted to highlight is that just like you said, business investing when when things really get to that level, even playing basketball, you hear basketball players saying, hey, at this level, we're just doing the same thing over and over again, is when it's routine is when you know you've completed mastery at it. That's right. all. No, it makes sense. Let me ask you this real That's quick, if you, had any, if you had anything you wanted to share, because, again, um, you are an investor in the sense that you have your own business, because, again, we're looking at the, t- I'm using the term today, if you will, investment all those opportunities, whether it's business, whether it's stock market, whether it's real estate, and yeah. I'm trying to highlight to a degree, even not doing so, whether people realize it or not, is a is an investment choice to not be involved in yeah. these things. And I'm just highlighting that that's also an investment choice as well. But if you will, Clive, um, any any major if you if you're open to put, putting it out there, any major investment mistakes from the standpoint of being in business because again I need people to realize that that's, that's an investment choice as well. Any mistake that you learned something from that made you better in business? Anything? Um, no stress if you don't have anything. I'm just don't, you know, just no, I, business. I, Go ahead, brother. Oh, no, no, I got you. So if I, I was thinking about what, what's the major thing that I've invested in was jumping from opportunity to opportunity, right? That was the, ma- that was the major thing, thinking that one opportunity was better than the other. Right, so I spend a thousand here, five thousand there. I'd be like, oh, I, and I, 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 I liken it. I'm not a trader, so I don't, I don't. But I'm saying I see people doing day trading, options. Today they're doing this and that, da da da. The same thing with business. Today you're, you're, you're doing marketing. You're doing, uh, you're, you're, you're selling products. You're selling cookies. And that's where I saw that my biggest mistake was like, yo, all these businesses are hard. They're all, they, you have to master the crap in one of them. Just try to just focus on one thing, and I spent too much time and money trying to jumping from situation to situation, mm-hmm. trying to find the great opportunity, the thing that would make me rich as fast as possible. When no, you're not. It's sure. you got to put the hard work in. It. That's it. That's that's it. That's yeah, the one. That's great. the one. I, I, I yeah, church. <laughs> yeah, great point, Clive. Thank you for a great call in, man. Uh, yeah, we definitely have to talk about that. I think people are at risk of doing even more of what Clive just spoke about off of the, the fact that it's right there in our hands because we've always had, right, people pushing business opportunities throughout our entire lives, but right now it's in the palm of our hand. And so absolutely, that is, I've heard plenty of entrepreneurs say <clears throat> just what I said. So his biggest mistake was spending on so many different ones and not taking time to master because he highlighted the thought process. Again, it goes back to your thinking, the thought process of which one of these is going to get me the rich riches quickest and so every new idea is going to be exciting because it's so with that type of thing uh william i know you can speak specifically to that because you are a great marketer if you will but i think clive great makes brings up a great point one of the biggest mistakes you can avoid is jumping around um but yeah jump on you know you as someone who's done multiple businesses can you talk about that before we go to the next break got about a minute and a half Absolutely. I think the process, you got to understand the process of investment and what type of investment and in return are you looking for? And over time, like what, what time period are you looking for? Are you looking, because there's different games you can play that result in different, 
the different uh, realities and at a different speed. And I think it's just understanding that. So I always, in my process, I always start with outcomes. Like, what am I trying to have happen? What is my objective? How how fast? How quick? How how long? Am I willing to play in that? And so you got to start there. No matter what you do, whether you're starting a business or even depending on what you're investing in, because it might take more or less capital. Might the demand might be different. It might be a niche market. It might be a a, a more competitive market. It might be a bigger market. So you got to take all of these things in consideration, and you got to understand the time and what it takes. And so you have to plan, because you will chase the shiny new object, right? In, in, in investing, you will. That's somebody talked about casinos and the and the uh, slot machines. That's chasing. If you watch people, what they do is they chase the slot machines. They go in. They literally chase the slot machines. The ones that's paying off. The one that's making the most noise, right? And that's what we do in the marketplace. We we chase what's making the most noise, and then that just goes back to marketing. It doesn't have to be working. It just has to be making the most noise. And so that's what we end up chasing as investments, <laughs> and we don't put the time and the energy and the strategy and the objective. What are we trying to accomplish? It's really about understanding math, right? If you understand, like if you've got a long-term play, right, 7% returns annually are great, but yep. how do you play that? How do you play that? How do you play that? That's not a short-term game. And so it really goes back to understanding these numbers and understanding math. Once you understand the numbers and then what you're playing with and then how long that takes, then you can create your strategy about how long or what you're going to do to get there. Are we playing the long game? We playing... There are some investments that are almost I – would, I would never say investments are guaranteed, but there are some – historically there are some investments, and Michael can speak better to this, right, that are guaranteed almost, right, in terms of uh, percentage returns. But they're not the highest. They're not the most – they're not the most, you know, attractive because they take time. But mm-hmm. if strategy is time, which if you study Warren Buffett, right, it's all about time. It's over time, right? If if the ten percent of a hundred thousand is ten thousand, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Exactly. So it's like how many how many years of ten thousand get you two hundred thousand and get you three hundred? So we got to look at it from that perspective. Like let's understand what no, we're trying sense. to do. Yeah, let's make sense. Let's you get to this break. No, absolutely. Let's jump into this break and we'll come back. And I want to hear both of you start getting into your individual mistakes and your, the lessons learned. Because, again, it's more about the lessons learned than just talking about mistakes we made. People don't naturally want to revisit the mist- their mistakes, if you will. But we're going to try to get past that and see what we learn from them. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show, where all I ask is that you think. What happens when your customers call your business and you're too busy to answer or call them back in a timely manner? You lose that business. Shockingly, 61% of inbound calls go unanswered. But fear not, tchmedia.ai is here to change the game. We specialize in capturing, nurturing, and converting your prospects into loyal customers. With our state-of-the-art communication solutions, no interaction will be left behind. When you miss a call, we've got you covered with automatic, engaging texts that keep your prospects connected and eager to choose you over your... We, we say that little things will stop people. Um, well, little things are put in the way of anyone who doesn't fit politically. Uh, and so you do get hostile climate. You do get over-discrimination. There's evidence of that. And then there is... The Mental Dialogue Book Exchange Coffee and Wine Club is black. Partnered with Privy and Stonecrest, join us, all book lovers... Come share your book with others. You're not exchanging and giving it away. You're just sharing it with others so you can discuss your favorite parts inside of the book. This is a smart new event. Come out, drink coffee, drink wine. All I ask is that you think. 
Welcome back to the Mr. Dialogue Talk Show. If you are in the Atlanta area, we do have our Mr. Dialogue Book Exchange Coffee and Wine Club out at Privy at Stonecrest at 3 p.m. today. Bring your favorite book. Bring If you're an author, bring your own book and, and do three exchanges and get exposed to some new books. The Speed Dating with Books is definitely a cool event that we've put together in conjunction with Privy at Stonecrest, the black-owned corner of the Stonecrest Mall. Uh, with that said, this morning's discussion question, my biggest investment mistakes, what did I learn from them? Special guests, Michael Sutler, as well as William Agnew. And so if we will, uh, at the very beginning, Michael, we jumped in and you said there was a couple mistakes you feel like that you had in mind, and I wanted to you know, hear about at least one of those, and what do you feel like you learned in reference to now your successful uh, investment career, specifically in the markets, which is where you uh, uh, kind of make your bones, if you will. But go ahead, King. Yeah, number one, um, the very first one to me was kind of chasing the big shiny thing that we were just talking about. I can think that when I first started, you know, my trading advisory business, the main thing I was doing at the time was, you know, I had friends and family accounts and, you know, people that had been rocking with me because they believed in me, you know, they had kind of, they kind of gone through things. And again, my, my first years of, of, of actually investing other people's money uh, didn't really go that well, but they, these were the people that rocked through it. They, they survived it with me, survived this learning curve. And, you know, then we had a couple good, really good years and it started attracting attention from, you know, like some local bankers and investment bankers and things of that nature. And they were like, Oh, you know, you can now come play with the big boys. And my biggest mistake was taking my small accounts, my uh, people that have been rocking with me and saying, <laughs> I'm going to leave y'all back and go rock with these cats. Right. You know, mm. and it was really like, you know, here's the thing. This is a compound lesson because it's one that you will oftentimes be told things that go against your actual game plan, your 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 own principle. Everybody has their sets of principles. I'm not one here to preach morals or anything of that nature, but I have sort of a code that for most of my life, not even just adult life, I've kind of worked and moved the same way. This was one instance where I went away from that, and it ended up being one of the worst mistakes because as I got with these big cats, you know, bigger money, they could throw they could throw hundreds of thousands of dollars, you know, towards us. Whereas, you know, when I first started doing my, my investments, I was asking for $2,500, right, per, mm-hmm. per investor. So now we're, we're talking about 100000 200000 uh, minimum investments. And, and the people were like, you know, that's, that was no money to them. I had one investor I can always think about. Um, he bragged about the fact that what he was able to give me, he was going to pay in taxes quarterly because his businesses and other things were just doing so well. Like he was a big braggart about that sort of thing. Uh, the funny thing about it, going to these new leagues, I learned a very important lesson. I didn't belong, period. And the reason I say that is they saw me as a tool, something shiny myself, and I'm like, oh, I'm going to form relationships with these people like I've had with my other people, and it's just going to be on a higher level. No, their relationships and allegiances were to the people that, like I said, these other bankers and things of that nature, so – when push came to shove and we got into some contract disputes about who owned what and, you know, they realized that I owned most of the business, these guys kind of cooled on me really quickly. And 
what ended up being tons of money coming in all disappeared in an instance. And this, crazy enough, was after making them money. That's the wild part about it. I made okay. them money, but it wasn't to the degree that they were expecting. And, you know, the guy that I was with was basically selling them on, oh, he was going to be able – like he was trying to give guarantees, and that's something that you never would do in investing anyway. But he's – oh, Mike's going to be able to do this for you, that. And so when I didn't, they not only shunned, but they just stepped back, and, they, and instead of going to all these parties and – Things that's nature where I'm, you know, I'm, I'm getting ingratiated to all these gated community stuff. I walk past these cats on the street and they wouldn't even speak. So, mm-hmm. what I ended up doing, the 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 mistake here was trading all of my people who actually supported me, not only just financially, but a lot of them were like, you know, you just left us with the bag. You know, it's like we could have grown with you guys too. And what ended up happening was all this big money left. I was left with no next to no money other than my own to manage now. Because I'd given away my friends, you know, they said, oh, y'all money too little, and the big money left. So I was in a struggle period for a very long time, and mm. the business probably should have failed uh, two or three times during that period. But that was a very important lesson. Wow. Now, that's a strong yep. lesson. Strong lesson. I see another caller out there. If you want to get in, you do have to press one. We definitely want to uh, if you want to ask our business and investment people some questions you absolutely can or if you want to share your investment mistakes and what you learned if you will william i know i think you, I think you had one that you want to share as well so um yeah if you will let's hear about your mistake and what did you learn from your mistake as well well my mistake again i'm, I'm sensitive to the word mistake my regret <laughs> because <laughs> i feel like this, i feel like this is a game that mistakes quote-unquote a part of the it's, it's part of the course right you got to come in and so when you say mistakes it, it it highlights it in a negative fashion when that's just part of the game you got to understand if you don't want to make mistakes then you don't play this game you know what i'm saying and, and that's how i lead people into playing this game i tell them that look you're going to make mistakes that's part of the game you, you can't avoid those so with that being said the thing that i've learned the most when it comes to investment strategy is time. Time is the thing, right? And I know yeah. Michael can attest to this, and he and I know he preaches this. Like you have to understand the concept of time and 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 math and money because the compounding, like he's talking about, is a thing that consists over over time. It, it, it the value comes when you're compounding, uh, and you can afford to do that over time, which is going to give you the result that you're looking for. And I think most people fit into that box. Me personally, how that applies to me is, you know, it took me a while because, again, my parents, just like most of probably the people on this, didn't pass that down in terms of knowledge or resources, right? They didn't have the resources to give me that, so I wasn't playing with other people's money, right? I have to play with myself, which causes the fear, like Michael was talking about, number one. We don't want to – we're working for that, bro. And the last thing we want to do is throw it in the garbage can. You know what I'm saying? So that's that's harder to do when you're playing with the money you earn versus the money somebody else earned, whether it's your mom, your dad, your uncle, whoever left it to you. And we don't have, you know, the luxury of doing that. But the time is a big deal for me because I started a little late in the game, right? And with that being said, my approach to investment has to be a little more aggressive to get the results that I wouldn't have had to be so aggressive with had I started when I was 20 those numbers, when I talk about 7% and 5% returns and 6% returns, to the guy that's 48 years old, that sounds like nothing. Or even to the guy that Michael's talking about that's rich, it just depends on what that, now 5 to 10% right, is right. great that they're talking about. But 
but you guys get what I'm saying. Like the time aspect, I mean, you can put again a hundred that ten percent of a hundred thousand is ten grand. You do that over twenty years, you got retirement money. You understand what I'm right. saying? Or oh, you do that over twenty years, you got retirement money. You understand what I'm so, saying? And that's so let me ask you this real by. quick. Yeah, go ask ahead. You this real quick, and you know, and if you don't, you don't have to. But when you highlight it, that you had to be a little more aggressive, um, based on, yes. in your opinion, based on starting late. So um, did that ever get you? Did you were you pr- pretty successful with that aggression, or did you? I know you don't like the word mistake, but I'm saying that's a great question. No, I, and transparent. I want to be transparent with you guys. What you guys okay. will never see me because I started late. So what you'll never see me doing, no matter how much money I got, you'll never see me with Louis Vuitton on, right? Right. You're never gonna see me with Gucci on. You'll probably never see me in a pair of J's, right? You're going to never see me driving a Lambo. You're going to never see me living in a house that I got to pay somebody to clean, right? No matter how much <laughs> money I have, it's just unless it's just ridiculous money, and I'm just doing it because my parents, you know what I'm saying? But right. that's the sacrifice. So so what happens is the the later you start, the more aggressive you have to be in terms of what you're sacrificing to participate at the level that you want to get to your objective because now you've lost so much time that the percentage of return has to go up that number. And so when you get into the third quarter of life, which is what I'm in, right, I always tell people I'm in my third quarter, right? I'm in the middle of the third. You know what I'm saying? I'm in the middle of the the third, right? So in order for me to get that return and the time that I want to enjoy it, I've got to sacrifice a little bit more on the front end. No, I understand so that. I guess maybe, maybe, maybe I'm not being clear, or maybe I'm missing it, or maybe, maybe you've done well. So I'm saying, so uh-huh. in that aggressiveness, did you ever miss, miss, if you will? Because I would assume having oh. to, if you, if you're saying you started late, didn't have the info, you know, or whatever that you needed to start younger, if you will. So I agree, it, has, right. it makes you be more aggressive. Well, at the end of the right. day, um, any lessons learned from, you know, like I jumped in. And so I had to. I personally had to learn this, if that makes sense. Like, I, like what yes, did you learn well, from? Yeah. Well, I guess I, what I'm saying is I learned that I have to, I have to sacrifice more at this at the later stages in terms of the delayed gratification. I got you. So you've been able to be pretty it, successful in jumping in late. So yeah, that's been. So your run, you've been able to jump into these markets and understand them to the degree to the degree that. You know, you knowing that that's your goal, you've been able to be pretty successful and haven't made too many mistakes doing that. Is that what I'm hearing? Because that's what yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm. Well, well. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, yeah exactly. Well, game yeah, so, game, yeah. In order to play the game, you got to have the capital to play the game, right? And so mm-hmm. what happens yep. is as you get later in life, that capital gets sucked up by responsibilities. <laughs> and so, yes, I've been able to take the capital through the sacrifices and, and attribute it to the game. Now there's still, you know, wins and losses, of course, in, in the midst of what I invest in, but I can't even play if I don't have the capital to play. You know what I'm saying? And so that's what I've learned is that I have to, I have to make that capital by sacrificing some of those luxuries that people, you know, you see on Instagram each and every day. Now it makes sense. We're at the top of the hour. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Mr. Dialogue talk show where all I ask is that you think for the caller out there, you have to press one if you want to jump in. If you're online and would like to call in and talk about any of your investors' mistakes and what you learned from them, please. We're just kind of hoping to have a kind of a round table and just talk about various situations and what did you learn from them. We'll be right back. Well, all I ask is that you think. I can't. 
What is black love? Find out as the arts and culture show at Mental Dialogue presents the True Love Experience, February the 14th, 6.30 p.m. at the Bookstore Gallery, Atlanta's Black-owned Cannabis Bar and Dispensary, as we have an interactive night of games, poetry, and discussions about true love. Only $44 per couple. Includes a free wine tasting, limited seating for this exclusive event. As my man Sincere Sincere breaks down the 30 Love Laws, his book, and we have these open dialogues. You will walk away with a better understanding of the type of love it takes to build nations. Valentine's Day can't beat it. If you have nothing to do, this is where you want to be. Again, exclusive event. With tickets from myself. Montoya Smith or my man Sincere Sincere contact us directly get your tickets before the seats are gone February the 14th 6.30pm bookstore gallery only $44 per couple can't do it all I ask is that you take so my goal is to show you what you need to do to to be able to make $1,000 in a day on demand, even though I know it sounds like a scam. You don't find that suspicious? You don't find that suspicious? You don't find that <laughs> suspicious? Even though I know it sounds like a scam. If you follow my two-step system, you will be able to start in four weeks making money. And I discovered this the hard way, so you guys get to cheat and have it the easy way. Do you want an easy way that would allow you to be profitable in a month if you do the work? Or would you rather do it and take years to be able to make money? Ain't that funny? Ain't it funny how everybody's an expert, but ain't got shit to show for their expertise? With other programs, it would take you 30 trades to make 10K. Uh, but with my system, it will only take six trades. <laughs> Welcome, back. <laughs> Welcome back to the Mr. Dialogue Talk Show. I am your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates. If you are in the Atlanta area... The True Love Experience on February 14th. Get your tickets for me directly. Only $44 per couple. It includes a free wine tasting. Everything you heard. If, you're not, if you haven't planned out something for your boo here in the Atlanta area, limited seating, contact me directly. You can go to mental underscore dialogue on IG or go to mentaldialogue.com and connect with me there. Just heard a cut talking about Hey, I can make you 10K with just six trades. And so when we talk about <laughs> making big investment mistakes, and I got Michael Sutler and William Agnew out here, seasoned veterans in this entrepreneur game and in this uh, in this market, if you will, I think we can't have this show without talking about those posing, those opportunities that seem, if you will, seem too good to be true. And unfortunately, what happens for some is maybe they buy into someone conceptualizing saying, hey, you're going to avoid all my mistakes. I'm going to show you exactly what to do. And some people actually take that route and end up getting burned. And then now they never actually make smart decisions with their investments ever again because they follow a fly-by-night person in the space. So, Michael, I think this is Long a live the game. Yeah. Um, <laughs> opportunity for you to talk about Blacks Academy and what you're doing is part of the reason why I love highlighting you because you are – a, if you will, a real and safe place to really learn the game methodically versus a fly-by-night situation because it's not 
a, a safe reality. And as you've always said, when it comes to invest, being an investor versus a trader, most traders lose their money and a lot of people don't know the difference. But if you will, just kind of jump in because, again, I think it has to be part of today's conversation. Man, I'm glad you brought it up because, to be honest, those guys are why I started Blacks Academy. Like, during the pandemic, all I would see on all sorts of social media from IG to YouTube, you know, even the Twitch channels, they are ubiquitous. They were everywhere holding up the money phones, you know, uh, even earn your leisure. You know, I try, I try not to, like, you know, really t- downplay those cats because I, I really love their ramp up. But I saw where they hit the villain curve, as I call it. It's like one day, instead of talking about financial freedom and things of that nature, they were like on there, and I'll never forget it. He was like, you can make $1,000 a day trading futures. And I was sitting there thinking, again, I trade futures. Um, I trade Forex. I trade, you know, all different sorts of markets. And I was thinking to myself, my God, why in the world would, you know, these guys, of all guys, who – Right. At one point in time, they had their licenses, I, I think, you know, as, as um, investment advisors. Why would they be talking about trading these highly risky markets? Now, don't get it, get it twisted. I love trading, but I will tell you, in terms of investors, I just, I just said, you know, there's some people who don't belong in the market. There are even fewer people who actually belong trading because trading is a niche and – it's one of those things where it's designed to chop you up and spit you out. Like I said, long live the game, but we mm-hmm. glamorize, you know, trading now to saying, Hey, you know, and it sounds sexy. Don't get me wrong. It sounds sexy to say, you know, instead of going to that nine to five, instead of doing this and doing that, I can sit at home in my underwear, you know, and make tons of money behind the screen. You know, that's, mm-hmm. that is a siren song, you know, mm-hmm. but the fact mm-hmm. of the matter is, on any given day, 95% of traders, uh, whether it's professionals or, as they call it, retails, are mm-hmm. losing money. So it's kind of like an either an arrogance or ignorance or a combination of both for you to think about, well, well, I'm going to be in that 5%. <laughs> you know, that's, that's made right. it, and I'm going to do it every day because they got you on those, uh, those ads like those guys that just said it. We think oftentimes, especially speaking in our community, we think in terms of salary because that's what we're used to. Trading is not a salary. You will, it, it's more like hunting. It's more like you'll make some money. I've, I've had peers where I've made money for a month, a lot of money, and then I won't make money for another three, four months. Right. You know, and, and I got my wife looking at me crazy. You know, this kind of stuff. Nobody tells you about that kind of stuff because that doesn't – you know that you gonna swipe on on those reels when you see them on, on social media. But I started Blacks Academy to kind of highlight the fact a structured pathway to you even deciding. Like for somebody who is interested but doesn't really know whether they're an investor or a trader or the differences. What we talk about is the mindsets, the tools, the the build up, the community, the resources that you need to even attempt to understand is if this is right for you. I'm never going to be on Black Academy talking about, oh, you know, you can make this, that, or other. I'm, most of the time I'm telling you, you're going to get your ass kicked. Uh, it, it reminds me of, you remember our guy, Jack Ponty? I remember talking mm-hmm. to Jack and he told him, you know, Jack had been successful in, in the record industry. I mean, it made right. tons of money. He told me it, it took him over 16 years to become a, a good trader. 
This is a guy who had had wild success and made millions of dollars elsewhere. It took him 16 years. He's not by himself. So Mm -hmm. if you look at the markets from a perspective, and I think I wanted to come back to this because William said something about, you know, different realities. The main Mm -hmm. thing that I think our community has to do is understand that there's so many different realities and there's their own reality or their own truth, but then there's the real reality about what these markets are and what they aren't, such that if you look at it and say, hey, well, here's somebody who's had patented success in a hard area, in a hard business. Record industry is hard business, but it took this cat over almost two decades to become successful at trading. That should tell you something. Uh-huh. And no, so, it definitely makes sense. No, it makes sense. Yeah, let me, that, um, let me throw along this. those lines, you know. Yeah, let me throw this. No, let me ahead. throw this in. Let me throw this in as well, because this is the thing that I think quite often doesn't get factored in. Because again, obviously, you're gonna, um, you know, in a sense, caution people from listening to someone that says, "Hey, I can do this fly by night." Obviously, again, that's why you got into the space of Blacks Academy. Here's the other thing, because really, what I do know about you, for example. Uh, you are, in a sense, as you said, you've had to be a little more risky based on your personal opinion and your mindset of when you started to get the things that you are. You have, you have to, in a sense, be more risky. But with that uh-huh. said, you you talked about this in the last segment that there was a certain amount of capital that you realized you had to have in order to even mm-hmm. play the way you're playing. And so, right. here's what typically is missed more so than. Uh, when when people are kind of saying, hey, come jump into trading and these t- type of things you see online, the thing that typically is missed, for example, cryptocurrency, something that you're still a fan of, even though it, in a sense, has a bad name. What most people right. are missing is you you are still willing to invest in some version of, or some versions of cryptocurrency, but what, what typically right. is not being talked about when people are advertising, jump into cryptocurrency, they're not advertising that, this is only 3% of my portfolio that right. I'm going to these big risky opportunities with. And so that's the right. part that's being left out. So I'm just kind of putting your whole situation in context. You understood to play aggressively. I need to have a certain amount of capital. And what a lot of people are doing is they're not having enough capital. And now they're left out there dangerously because they're using money that they depend on. And you built right. to a certain capital level to be say, all right, I'm going to be safe. Here with things I have, my necessities, but now I want to play more aggressive. So if you can kind of just, you know what I'm saying, talk about that aspect when you say, you know, having the right capital to play at even these things that, quote, unquote, this person has been successful at. Go ahead, King. Yeah, I think uh, from a capital standpoint, I mean, that's what the skill set is. So for, for, for us and the way I've always approached it, so, you know, like you guys know, I, I got a, we got a school. We've had a school for over 12 years where we teach people fundamental skill to generate capital, right? And that's where it starts. It's like it starts with having the capital before you can even play. You got you to gotta be able to, to get in the club, so you got to pay the cover, right? So, so you got to be able to play, and it's got to make sense because – if you're looking for certain returns, like 5% of, of nothing is, is nothing. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, so, so the idea is, okay, let's think about a capital generation. How are we going to do that? There are many ways to do that. Michael can speak to that, whether you're asking for money or whether you're making money using somebody else's money or making your own money. You have to have the ability to generate the capital so you can play the way you want to play. Once you get that, and it doesn't got to be a lot, but, again, it, it goes into taking that capital, now diversifying that capital into different, aspects like me 
I, I do cryptocurrency like you mentioned, right? There's there's certain utilities in cryptocurrency that I love. There's certain specul speculative things that I that I think are just horrible, right? But so I always I'm always moving towards the things that have real utility in the marketplace and I do my history and I look at that utility typically over time does really well because there's a demand for it and people eventually need it. So, you know, I look at things like that. Um, as, as far as, uh, and I also do like, um, you know, based on our economic situation, I might buy a little, a little precious metals over here. So I might buy some gold and silver and I do that again over time, right? I don't have to have all the capital right now, but if I start buying silver today when it's 27 bucks per ounce, right, and based on our economic situation and you study history, maybe that's a good investment a, a long time. Maybe that's a good, uh, a, a good, um, a good insurance play, right? Uh, real estate, you know, so you just, you got to be able to, number one, generate the capital, right? That's the first game. That's the first part. And my school teaches people how to do that, right? Where, where we can teach you how to go into the marketplace. We teach you how to generate extra capital. You don't got to get rich. Here's, here's the idea. You don't got to get rich with the skill. Go drive an Uber, make an extra $500, $1,000, $1,500 a month, right, that you don't need in your operational lifestyle, $1,500, and apply it to now talk to Mike, right? And Mike's going to tell you right. what to do with that 1500 extra dollars, right? So you got to be able to generate that capital. It doesn't have to be a lot. And when I say capital, this is what I want people to think. Mm -hmm. I don't want you to think you got to be playing with 10 grand or 20 grand or 40 grand or 100 grand. That's not, that's not, it always starts small. And you always want to start small so you can test it and figure out your process. And the guys that get really successful is they figure out the process by which it works. All you got to do is be profitable. Then you scale that profitability. Now you go out and you do more things to generate more capital. You make a little bit more sacrifices on the front end where you're not buying all the Louis V and the Gucci, and you apply more percentage of that capital to the investment that makes sense, and you diversify that across different, you know, mediums. And it's really basic if you understand what you're trying to do, but what we got to understand is, is, is doing that. It's the strategic approach to what our objective is and what we're trying to accomplish. And, and capital, specific to capital, it plays in that. We have to have a way to generate capital, whether that's generation or somebody's giving it to us. More than likely, nobody's going to trust us enough to give it to us to play, to play with right. money. Right? <laughs> Michael's, the different, Michael's an outlier. Michael's an outlier. He's worked for what he's able to do. Right? He's put that time in. For us as individuals, we have to go out there and generate that. So like talking to Clive, Clive has his own business where he generates that capital. His next step would right. be to create that plan, right, create that plan and figure out how to take some of that money he's making and very conservatively to start with so he can learn the process and get comfortable with it, right, put it into the market and see what it does. And the earn your leisure guys, I, I agree with you, Mike, they used to speak this that I'm talking about right, right. now, right? They, they got a million dollar check from Puffy and they, they, they just lost their freaking, you know, <laughs> didn't even get the money. In. But in any case, they're hanging out with the guys who throw money at them and now their whole mentality has changed. Everything is on a speed, you know, on a, on a speed, get it fast, get it fast, get it fast. Right, and right. Going back to all of these scams, yeah, man, there's there no easy money. That's a big misconception. There's no quick money. That's a big misconception. Nope. Everything that has longevity takes time. And you have to build a process by which it generates money. And so there is no quick money. There's no such thing. So if you hear anything where people are going, hey, I know this sounds, it sounds crazy. Yes, it's crazy. 
It's crazy. Because <laughs> nah, it doesn't work that. Nah, let's go. Way. Let's go to this next break, and and and, <laughs> and Michael, if you will, think of that second mistake that you wanted that you had mentioned. You had two of them you want to share. So let's think of that one. We'll come out oh, of yeah. the break. All right, we'll be right back. You're listening to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show, where all I ask is that you think. Calling all married couples. Have you planned your Valentine's Day weekend getaway? If not, we recommend you reignite your passion in your marriage at the Oneness Experience Weekend, February the 16th through 18th, 2024. Brought to you by Enduring Love Ministries, hosts Roosevelt and Renita Quick, authors of The Power of Agreement and 30 Years of Marriage Experience, ask couples to reconnect, rekindle, and recommit to their marriages. Are you yearning for a deeper, more purposeful connection in your marriage? If so, the Oneness Experience is for you and your spouse. Taking place in the beautiful Blue Ridge Mountains of North Carolina, experience an anointed weekend with plenty of couples activities, marriage enrichment sessions, such as the strength of seduction and ample quality time together. Again, the Oneness Experience Weekend takes place February the 16th through 18th. For registration details, please visit Enduring Love Ministries International at ELMINTL.org. Again, that is ELMINTL.org. Tickets are going fast. LBMH was a brilliant strategic partner for, for me. Like mm-hmm. We were doing this out of our office. We, we were lucky to find um, the Cartiers who've been in the business since the 1800s. Like, there's no, there's no, no one that looks like us in Champaign. It's such a small place. It's Nobody. very small. Not even people that live in the area can uh, penetrate Champaign, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. He, he'll know better than that, right? You, you, it's, it's the people who live there. They're either it. making champagne or they're building the chateaus around the champagne. And that's, that's it. it. That's, the, that's the economy. Mm-hmm. But you're not breaking in there from, you know, from New York City. Um, we've done something really amazing and got the attention of some, one of the most prestigious brands, right? And it was like a, a beautiful marriage. Like, I owned 100%. I could have said, I want to own 100% of this thing. Or I can own 50% of it and take this, this and push it even further, right? Um, so that was, that, was, that was right for that specific situation. But there's some things that you want to own forever and you want to pass down to your kids. And I still, again, I own 50% of it. So it's still an asset that I can pass down to my kids, meaning that name on the, you know, on the top of the building that you're referring to. Welcome back to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. I'm your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates. This morning's discussion question, my biggest investment mistakes, what did I learn from them? As you hear... Jay-Z or Hove on the Kevin Hart show talking about, uh, in a sense, his 50% selling of Ace of Spades. That's what he was alluding to, his drink, uh, champagne, if you will. And so he sold 50% of it to this company to further advance the brand, if you will. Um, And he talks about the idea of owning 100% or 50%, some things you want to own and things of that nature. And I thought this is also a good show to talk about this because uh, at the live experience last month, we were highlighting um, the sisters that had, that got the 381 million cash for Honey Pot, um, hey. yeah, 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 they were able to and and keep a, um, uh, I guess a, um, I guess a percentage to where they're still on the board, if you will, um, and so we had a dialogue last month about uh, whether that was even smart to do, if you will, for our black owners or black founders, if you will, that found these companies that expand and have an opportunity to sell all of it or a portion of it, you know, again, we hit the Jay-Z cut. And so there's this dialogue about whether we as black founders should either be willing to do so. Is is it a good thing or is it a bad thing? And so I just wanted to kind of get 
y'all thoughts on hearing, for example, Jay-Z deciding to sell 50% of Ace of Spades. Some people will look at that as a mistake or that other people are going to have more control. And some people, you know, businessmen like yourself, I assume that y'all think it's a smart play. I don't know, but I want to hear your thoughts because, again, that's a part of investments as well. You can have a business and you may sell a part to make money. That's part of investing into a business. So I just want to put that concept into play. Go ahead, um, Michael. Well, you know, one of the big things about investing in business is begin with the end in mind. And so when it comes to business, most of the time you're always thinking about your exit strategy. Like you're going to start this business and do what with it. And at some point you're either going to ride off to the sunset or, you know, maybe you have a succession plan or whatever. But, yeah, you have to start with the end point in mind because everything you're building is going up to this point to where you can exit out. So to me, $384 million for a honeypot, yeah, get that money. Get that money, ladies. Um, you know, but, you know, it, I mean, it's, it's automatic. It's like, why even think about it? Because we're a community that lacks that sort of, I mean, how many people can you even think of that have access to that sort of liquid capital, right? Right. In our community. Like, you're not going to find that many people outside of community. I mean, this, when you start talking eight, eight, nine figures, you know, it, it, the numbers start to dwindle. But, you know, for black businesses, the idea to scale and exit to me is at least in one half part of what's needed for the next 20 to 50 years for us to actually have an economic re- renaissance. Um, okay. You know, but on the other side of that, so to me, like even with my business as the capital, I would never sell it. And it's because of the nature of the business it is. Because the and, – and, and part of it, and I've had – uh, you know, issues with this with, with some of my friends and other business owners, they're like, you're too emotionally attached to it. But no, it's more of a succession thing. When I look at banks, you know, like you talk about J.P. Morgan, Lehman Brothers, these entities and things have existed for hundreds of years. Like he was talking about LVMH, you know, having been in that business for a very long period of time, right? There are some businesses within our communities that do need to exist and stay in our communities such that we can actually erect barriers around them such mm-hmm. that when we beat on our craft, such that we refine them, they become emblematic. They be, like if I think about Daimler Chrysler uh, and Mercedes, these are brands that you know because they have existed for centuries. Mm-hmm. But I think it's a dichotomy there. You, you have to have some that will exist for long periods of time, but it comes up to the owner's plan or vision for what they have. But, I mean, honestly, especially for products and, and services and things of that nature, I'm like, hey, if you can exit, like I said, partner with somebody because black culture itself is so profitable. I know I step on some toes when you say that, but it's like mm-hmm. if you look at American culture, America eats us up. So if these sisters can get, you know, next to a half billion dollars or, you know, in the next one, you know, there's, there's so many black black founders that I follow. I would love to see them exit at 250, uh, you know, half a billion, a billion. You know, I'm, I'm waiting to see that. We need that to happen because – what happens in that chain effect is it's kind of like in, in politics when we start seeing black people become, you know, senators and presidents and stuff. It becomes, oh, this is possible. So, yeah, that's my take on it. Uh, William, wow. um, any thoughts? Uh, matter of fact, let me just take it in a different direction because I'm, I'm, make, I'm making an assumption here that you would agree to a degree with what um, Michael's saying. Hopefully, huh? I'm, I say, I'm hoping more okay. so I'm making an assumption here that you would agree with a lot of what Michael just said. So I wanted to yeah. throw out an opposing thought in reference to a founder doing such a thing. And that's 
um, the necessity for us to have, if you will, more ownership in our own community. That's the kind of the what, how some people look at it, like you know, a, a Bob Johnson selling BET. If people will say, uh, "Hey, well, look at the product at BET. What it, what has it been since it's been white owned versus it being black owned?" And so, um, what are your thoughts for people who feel like we're actually giving away our ownership via selling off? To these companies with an exit strategy. Any thoughts on that in particular? I, you know what? I, I, I'm, 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 I agree with what Michael is saying, and I, I think when you look at products and services, they come and they go, and they're only built to be destroyed, right? Because I'm a utility, I'm a utility, <laughs> I'm a utility guy, right? I'm a demand guy. I'm a, and that's where. What you do is you generate capital to then move it over to utility because utility is going to last. That's what people need. And so what mm. a lot of these guys do, it really depends on what, what market they're in. When you look at entertainment, bro, entertainment's here today, it'll, it, 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 but it changes. And so that's not something I would want to put my future on, right? I would want to take that money like Bob Johnson did and put it into some real u, u, utility assets. So a, a perfect example is Byron <clears throat> – Byron Elk, Byron, Byron Allen. Yeah, yeah. Bob Johnson versus Byron Allen. So if you look at what Bob Johnson owns Dope. and you look at what Byron Allen owns, Byron Allen owns a network and the weather channel, right? That's more of a utility. That's not going anywhere mm-hmm. per se, right? People are going to need that. That has a long-term uh, value proposition. So it would make sense for him to hold on to that more so than Bob Johnson. Bob Johnson, what he can do is he can sell that entertainment because that's going to change, right? And the medium is going to change and how it, you know, the, just the, in my opinion, and this is strictly my opinion, but then he can take that capital, right, which is devaluing over time anyway, and he can buy more assets of utility that is going to have that long-term uh, resilience in terms of value in the marketplace. And I think that's what we got to understand. Like, what are we selling? Like, if you look at Jay-Z, what is, what is he liquidating? What is that? What what is that product? Is that a is that a is that a is that a drink? <laughs> you know? Right, <laughs> right, right. That's dope. I lo- I love that. Yeah, and even and even he says and even he says. I'm um, sorry to cut you off, but even he says some things you want to keep in the family and keep 100 percent ownership. And so, right, it just highlights the opportunity of that is case by case. To your point, right. I love that distinction you're making: products and services versus something else that you may want to keep. And so. Also, I would challenge, and again, it's not that anybody has to agree with me, but again, it's just trying to have the dialogue in full. But I, I would also challenge that as far as our ancestors have already, in my opinion, have done enough work for, mm-hmm. for example, you two guys to exist. And what I mean by it is, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. What, what I mean yeah. by that, Michael, is, you know, you're in a unique space being in, you know, trading specifically where you tra- trade. That's why you're always our go-to when we start talking about investments and things of that nature. But the thing is, um, specifically, I have just got to this place where it's kind of like, and I've said this to you before, Michael, like master your craft to the degree that you can make as much money as you can because you already are conscious and concerned with your, our community. And that in itself right. is enough 
because first you're going to take care of your first order of business, your own family, if you will. And by nature, because you are conscious about how you move, you also see how you can extend that, whether it be, whether that's a few other brothers learning how to invest similar to you, whether you've created this Blacks Academy for others to learn how to be more strategic and not fall for these fly-by-night people. And so I'm highlighting that ultimately, even if you were out there and not conscious, the freedom that every other culture has is to make their money and decide to give back or decide not to give back. And I'm right, challenging right. us from a psychological standpoint to let people be and master their craft and not be so judgmental when you're outside looking in because we don't know what the Honey Pot sisters are going to go do with their money. But nor is it, right. one, our business, but two, most founders that take that time to build up, they're like you, Michael. They're going to give back. You didn't have to start a Blacks Academy, but you did. Uh, we actually got a caller want to jump in. Let me get the caller in. 314-953-9053. Yeah, I'll let you add on. Absolutely. Okay. No, that is, uh, that's good advice. And another thing, starting with your children young, teach them how to utilize the things that's available. And it may sound funny. Even teach your kids how to do three-card molly. But trade stocks options and that on your own, learn how to do it, and everybody is right. not going to be able to do it, then they move on to the other things. Day trading and all that is very possible. It's hard as hell to learn. Exactly. But if you can't learn it, then you can move on to other things. And I can testify. You can do $5,000 a day or more, depending on how much your due diligence is. So, uh, yeah, and you know, some things is just difficult the hard to get into. Uh, you got to have a lot of capital. And a lot of these people that's so-called in the news today, your Musk and your Bezos, those guys started off with humble beginnings, believe it or not. Uh, look at the guy that owned UPS. He borrowed money from his grandmother to start that. So all these opportunities do exist. And, yes, stay away from all that get-rich-overnight scheme stuff because they usually pull the rug and leave you high and dry. Right. Thank you. Now, thank you, Brother Pianchi. Long-time listener, long-time caller, always giving us great wisdom, um, if you will. Um, William, I'm going to go to a quick break, and we'll have to get to your okay. comment yeah. after the break. Actually, matter of fact, this is just a cut that I'm going to play. So, actually, okay. go ahead and give us your thoughts, and then we'll just play the cut after you finish. Uh, I know you want to piggyback on some stuff I think that uh, Michael was saying or that I just said, but go ahead. So, yeah, go ahead and do that. And yeah, I'll yeah. Play the cut. It's not a commercial. Go yeah. ahead, brother. Okay. Yeah, I want to talk about, like, Michael's mentality of never selling his business. And it just depends, and you got to look at it from a strategic standpoint. I am in education also. Education is the foundation of the United States, right? So, ideally, what I would love to do with education is give it away for free. Because education is the acquisition piece. It's the acquisition for the attention to then own what you can lend or provide the resource to the people who you're educating. So ideally what you would want to be able to do is bring people in, educate them, and then say, hey, I have the solution for you if you qualify for what I'm teaching you. That's ideal. That's where you, that's where, that's where you would, would want to be. That's, that's a priceless business that he has. Now, unfortunately, the way we start with education is we have to monetize it and make money. But ideally, what we want to do is we want to take that capital that we make, and I'm speaking 
specifically from my strategic approach, right, because that's what we got into, education. But then what we realized is education without the ability to provide the resource to the people whose lives you want to change, right, or the access, it's kind of, it hurts because you're leading them, you're pointing them in the direction as opposed to taking them with you. So mm. when you talk about that, that investment money, right, what you're talking about is taking that money and then putting that capital into the resources that you can then, it, it, it's more of a utility that can be used to lift your people up. That's what we need to, to do more of where, again, an education piece, ideally, ideally, right now, I have to charge simply because I have to pay my people and I have to keep the doors open, right? Ideally, I would love to give it away and then right. have that, take that capital that people have invested in me, go buy the asset that's going to help the people that are coming after them because now I can allow them access and real help to get to where they want to get to because the problem they have is not now the information, it's the resource. You understand mm. what I'm saying? Uh, so when, nah, makes a lot of sense. You, yeah, moving that value around and why people sell and what people's plans are. You don't know what Jay-Z's uh, plan is to do with that right. half of that, the 50% of that liquidation that he's got. Maybe he's going to buy the resource that is going to empower more people, and he needs that leverage to do so. So maybe it's a bigger yeah, game, yeah. a bigger play to spread yeah, across yeah. Our, our people. You know what I mean? So yeah, I just yeah, and, to- I, and, I, and I've heard of founders doing exactly that type of stuff or whatever, it was a smart play because their bigger vision was to help even more people. And again, it's not for me to know their business, but I've definitely know founders that have done that type of thing. Let's go to this uh, next cut. It's not a mistake per se. Um, if you will, Michael, this is actually our boy Mark Rage is talking about um, how he made an investment inside of his own business, like the decision making around it. thought it would be worth discussing as an option to learn from as well. So let's listen to him break this down. This comes from um, the Money Over Business mixtape um, that we were able to do for um, our sponsor, Money Money Motivation. So let's listen to this cut. About a 30K investment, and that 30K investment would generate 75K in sales, about 25K a month. So if we just looked at that 30K investment that was needed, Three options to do it. I could self-fund it, which up to that point I had done entirely. I had self-funded the entire launch of the company and the operations of the company up to that point. Second option was to give out equity to somebody who wanted to invest in the business. I had several people who had asked me about it in starting the business and when it was going in the first two years. Uh, And the third option was to do some debt financing or business financing. So my thought process was this. I didn't want to give out a small piece of equity. I don't like the idea of giving up a piece of ownership or control to somebody else, even if it's a small piece necessarily, when I don't have to. Um, Because I could have self-funded it, so that wasn't really an option. Um, Self-funding it was on the table, but I preferred to stay liquid. So we had a proven track record of sales. I could predict that we were getting, you know, based on what we were currently getting, that if we invested 30 grand, we could generate about 75K, so the better option was to debt finance it and stay liquid with my own capital. So I went and did two things. Got a line of credit that could be accessed monthly for working capital, and then the second thing I did was go to one of my banks that I had a relationship with, got a short-term business loan for a little over 30K, invested that money in the marketing and inventory, and within three months, we hit 25K per month in sales and climbing, and we haven't looked back since. So that debt financing drove business growth. We had predicted sales. We understood the math, and we invested it in the right place. And 
we hit that mark in climbing uh, at that point in particular. In three months uh, after that investment was made, we hit 25K per month, and it kept increasing after that. The other thing to point out about that scenario that I think is important from my perspective is I tend to be more risk taker, more of a risk taker than most people, and I don't like money sitting idle. So I had the cash to invest it, but I don't like keeping a ton of cash. So even though I did the debt financing in this example and I chose not to self-finance, I still took my own cash and put it in play in other areas of the business and or other investments. So I put that money in play that I had to generate some type of return where essentially now I had two potential lines of future revenue that could be generated versus one. So the advantage for me of choosing the debt financing in that case is I had two lines, my self-funded mm. money that I can use places, plus the debt financing to put in place to get some type of return. Yeah, that's beautiful. So you're basically creating two streams by not sitting on the cash because I would have assumed you didn't use your cash and would have sat on it and kept it liquid. You stayed liquid having access, but then you put it to work. So beautiful, beautiful example. Welcome back to the Mr. Dialogue Talk Show. I'm your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates. This morning's discussion question. My biggest investment mistakes, what did I learn from them? Uh, special guest, Chief Investment Officer Michael Sutler at C Capital, as well as serial entrepreneur William Agnew. So we hear again from the CEO of our sponsor, Money Motivation, talking about a 30K investment that was able to generate 25000 a month. Uh, within three months. So uh, obviously in a great example that actually worked out for him or whatever, but anything in there, Michael, that in a sense stood out again, just kind of getting into the mindset. And the main thing that I heard out of there is he knew his numbers. And that's sometimes why people are afraid to take risks because the reality is getting into business typically has way bigger returns than even learning in a sense initially playing the long-term play in the stock market, if you will, or even setting money into real estate and the actual asset, if you will. But business opportunities can be 3,000-fold sometimes when you think somebody invested $1,000 and now the, you know, the, 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 the business is worth 100000 ten a tenfold increase. So um, anything that, in a sense, stands out out of all of that in reference to today's discussion? Absolutely. There's one word that I like to use a lot. <clears throat> when it comes to business, it comes to the markets, and it's like an ideal position that we hear Hollywood in, and it's simple. The word is optionality. He not only had the, the math and the numbers and the knowledge, he had the resources. So, again, yeah. he was so comfortable in that space, and listening to him go through, like, his, his strategy, I was smiling because I was like, not only is he confident, because, you know, there's there's confidence that that comes out of, you know, you think you know what you're doing, but that his confidence came from an experience, experiential place. Again, it goes back to William's point of you have to have capital. I probably mm-hmm. had plenty of his own, mm-hmm. but what we lose is that, you know, when we're trying to get, like I said, get that fast money or whatever, you often have to have capital first before you can access other capital. It's the, it's right. the, it's a weird thing. You know, you, you hear people, well, I went to go get a business loan. And it didn't work out. <laughs> it was because you didn't have anything to bring to the table. You know, I'm trying to get a job and I need experience. I don't have no experience. I'm going to get the job. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Same, same thing, yeah. yeah. So that, that, that level of optionality is one that I love to be in. And, and I'm not there nearly as much as I would, but the, hearing him, how he operated around that, 
It's not again. There's no guarantee in success, but he had a much more probable chance of a favorable outcome than somebody else who did not have as much options, did not have as much knowledge or experience. And in the words of you know Project Pat, some folks do what they want, other folks do what they can. He's he's a person that does what he wants, right? So yeah, that's real, and um, and that's what we should be. Yep, I see some callers out there. If y'all want to get in, y'all do have to press one. Anybody online six four six. 787-1691. You do have to press one. Tell us about your mistakes and what you learned from them. Uh, William, anything you heard out of that cut that stands out in reference to, um, in a sense, learning, you know, how to even make those type of decisions? Uh, go ahead, King. I, I, I think what, what Mark gave was the science, right? That is the science of strategic, not only selling, but integration and results. And if you can understand what Mark did, it doesn't have to just be for yourself. You can sell that to other people. And a lot of times what happens is we get so caught up in trying to do it for ourselves, we don't realize the value by which we – I mean, Mark can consult and make hundreds of thousands of dollars just consulting what he just shared. It doesn't necessarily have to be for him, right? And that's what training and that's what some of these trainings are that we see online, but the power in being able to properly – uh, present and propose that to somebody who doesn't have that option right now. I'll give you an example. A lot of businesses, they, they, they put the blinders on. They're service businesses. All they got to do is add a nice product to their business, right, that makes sense. Mm. You know what they don't know how to do? They're one-trick ponies. They only know how to provide service, but they got a product that if they just set on top of that service, it would generate, like Mark talked about, another stream of income. But <laughs> like how do you present that? Right? How do you go to a guy and say, look, man, you're missing this opportunity. Let me put this on an Excel spreadsheet. Let me show you the numbers. Let me show you how to do the design for this product. Let me show you how to uh, source the packaging for this product. Let me show you how we're going to package it. Now, let me show you how we're going to ship it. Now, let me show you how we're going to market it. Now, let me show you the numbers. And you know what that person does? Damn it, man, I need you. I want you. I want to do it today. They will offer you a percentage of the business to do that for them. So this is this this is what this is what this, this is the goal that Mark just said. That's gold because if you know how to do that and that confidence that he just displayed because he knows what he's talking about. And if I can come show you the numbers, and if I can come give you the solutions, and you're looking for that anyway, which most business owners are, we're always looking for a way to add some type of value proposition that we can't. And the thing right. about services a lot of times is their local service businesses. So we don't even have that reach to make more money mm. because who outside of 15 miles or 25 miles is going to come to us? Nobody. We're just serving our local, our local, uh, our, our local. It reminds me of a, a joke that uh, Kevin Hart used to say, we're lab, we're lab, he'd say lab Negroes, right? Which is uh, local <laughs> ass bitch. It was a joke. He called it local <laughs> ass bitch. You know what I'm saying? Lab, but we're very lab, right? And so what we don't have is the, the where is the market, where is the world moving to? It's moving to e-commerce. So how do we create with our service, how do we create this potential product that we can e-commerce of the world? But we have to have all of these skill sets. And the first thing we got to be able to do is leverage other people's work and the work that other people have done to build brand, build retail, and go, hey, let me offer you a solution to add to your bottom line. So that's what I get when I listen to Mark. Like, he could take that. He could come to me, right? He could say, Will, I see you do car wraps, right? Do you, do you sell detailing solutions for car wraps, right? And I say, mm. no, Mark, I don't. 
how do I, how do I, number one, how do I build that? What do the numbers look like? How do I integrate that into my business and how do I sell it? I bet the market tell me he could snap his fingers and go, boom, I got you. How about this? Let me let him snap his fingers right now <laughs> and see if he got you because he's on the line live in 3D. What's so, up, King? I see you on the line. I had to get you in here. You, hit the, you raised your hand. We talking about you. Uh, so, yeah, I, see, I guess you decided to go ahead and jump in here, huh? Hey, I, had to, I heard my voice. I said, man, I, that's me on the line. I, look at you. You know, it's, <laughs> it's, 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 it's all right. What's up, Mark? Hey, How you hey, doing, man? Great conversation. Hey, what's happening, y'all? Hey, William. Hey, Michael. Hey, it's been great. What's going on, bro? Uh, I can't call it, but listen. Hey, I love the discussion that's going on, and I actually want to jump in because that was giving an example of something that worked out for me, and I know this show is about mistakes. So, mm-hmm. you know, it, we're not above any mistakes. So I did want to jump in here at least give it time that it didn't work out for me and, yeah, and how, it, how I learned absolutely. from it. Yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, we, 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 we all walk around and got big egos and got a lot of confidence and, and it can look like <laughs> everything is happening right. But what most people don't know is every time you win, it's, it's multiple mistakes that you've made behind that that you've learned from more often than you win. But so absolutely. I, I was doing some business. I was doing some business in L.A., here in L.A. a while back, and it was actually in the entertainment industry. It was my first foray into some business ventures there because a lot of that is out here. Longer the short was, I'd done a, some business with this guy uh, for a long time, and we had a show. We had a, a live show. He owned the bar. He owned the whole deal. Everything was going great. I trusted him. He came to me with an opportunity. It was going to be a three-month opportunity, a five-figure investment, a 20% return, give him a principal back plus 20%, and, uh, and he was basically going to run everything, and I didn't have to get involved. I, I won't give you the details of it because we got a short time. Now, mm-hmm. when y'all hear all that, and I heard it earlier, I think, from William, I was a victim of all the things you shouldn't do when I got into the thing. <laughs> One, if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. I was a victim. If it's fast money, fast money, three months, I was a victim. But I trusted the guy. I knew him, and I had been doing business with him. So I said, okay. And it was connected to some things that I was fond of in terms of what he was trying to do. Turned out, three months went by. I ain't seen that money since. Right? I didn't get any of the principal back. I didn't get any of that return that was promised. Still don't have that money, and I'm still looking for him. But look, here's the deal. Hey, it's all, let me, all let me tell you, now. Let me stop. Are you too old to be doing that, but man? Let me, <laughs> but let me tell you the lesson in it, though. The lesson in it is we think really linear, linear, a lot of times when we're talking about yep. investments or business. And so the linear was, oh, um, I give you this money, I get this return, I get this money back this amount of time. What I should have done and what I learned from that is you can structure business deals any way that you want to structure them. What I should have mm-hmm. done, because I knew he owned this bar and this club, I knew he owned this entertainment venue, which, by the way, did continue on for multiple years after that, but I hadn't got my money back, which was a decent thing. What I should have done was say, wow. okay, all right, that's part of the deal, but here's what we're going to do. If in three months I don't get what I'm promised, okay, mm-hmm. that's going to transition into an equity share of your boss. Yes, sir. Or, right. or I'm going to get a percentage of revenue from what's happening on these, on these nights that you got going on until I am paid my proper return. Yes, I could have structured it all right. kind of ways to put hooks into this thing, and I learned from that. So every time I go into a deal, 
I always look at what's face value, but then I think about what are the creative ways that we can structure this thing differently so that I put myself in the best position to win. Now, you still got to take risks. So nothing, you know, you're always taking risks, but that was my biggest lesson. So every time, it's like when I played Monopoly, we were playing, I was playing Monopoly with my daughter and my son last night. And I'm mm-hmm. telling them, look, it's all types of ways to structure this deal. It's not just you buying this property. Right. You know, we could do cash. We could do swaps. We could do right. a combination <laughs> of things. You could do, like, it's mm-hmm. all types of ways you can do it. But we never Creative. think about that because, yep, that's right. Right, because we're always thinking so linear about it. And so that was the biggest learning is you can be very creative and structure deals a lot of different ways to put yourself in the best position to win. Nah, that's a yes, killer sir. lesson, man. Thank you for that three cents, brother. And, and I love the big ups to Monopoly because we got a whole show that says why you should play Monopoly with your children at least once a month. We got a whole two-hour show dedicated yep. for the very thing you just talked about, Hollywood, like the opportunity to expose your children. Like, for example, I didn't hear the word interest until I took an economics class in, in the 11th grade. But, uh, you know, outside of playing Monopoly a little bit, when you play, the, play it correctly, you you basically set your children up to do things like what you just talked about. So, yeah, you made a, a, a brand mistake and lost a significant amount of money. But since that time, you've not allowed yourself to be burned in that manner because you learned your lesson. So thank you for that three cents, King. Yeah, matter of fact, I'm going to share one more. Our, our brother Rashad, if you will, Michael, he wasn't able to call in. He's on a plane, but he actually typed his his, his situation. So I'm going to share it real quick <laughs> and let both of y'all talk about it before we close out this morning. He says, uh, this is, from, again, from our brother Rashad Howard, who is an amazing businessman. I mean, I, we've had him yep. on the show several times. Uh, I really can't talk enough about that, brother. But he says, I've, I have a lot of investment mistakes. One was when I invested in a logistics last trucking company to the tune of 350000 cash. <laughs> I didn't know, I know anything story. about the business itself, was unclear on how to read slash judge financials, and largely got into it because I was intoxicated by the potential upside available. Experiencing uh-huh. the upside was largely going to be a function of all the stars having to align and for the company to operate without accepting new debt that would come due within 30 days. I went in on the hype, wow. hope, and prayer that everything would work out simply because I wished it would versus sound mm-hmm. analysis and our input from others with knowledge of the industry and business outlook. That was the other mistake, not seeking outside counsel. My ego was too big to even mm. hear whether it would be a bad idea, and I wasn't interested in hearing counsel at all. I also signed agreements without legal review and no certified financials from a licensed CPA. <clears throat> it was all bad. Bravado cost me dearly, and I still had to take a tax hit Tax hit from the whole debacle, and we're talking about a brother who, a couple years ago, um, you know, signed a twenty million dollar contract with the government. So mm-hmm. clearly, he made a, this huge mistake and says he did everything wrong. It's common, but what do you learn to come on and become successful? Um, William, I'll actually let you jump in. Michael, I know you're familiar. Okay. That's your friend Rashad. So I'll let you jump in on any quick thoughts. We got about ten minutes before we close out the show. So um, yeah, if you will, just kind of jump in and, and and wherever you want to jump in. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. It's just making the you know again. It's about making the best decisions so you you know you don't have those those regrets and you know being educated across the board and understanding it, doing doing the work, dotting the i's, crossing the t's, doing your homework, right? Kind of like Mark talks about. You know what I'm saying? Where he 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 didn't do his homework and he didn't have the experience. It's kind of twofold, right? Sometimes having the experience is just something you need. People can tell you all day, but you kind of got to experience that to understand what it is. 
unfortunately, after $350,000 lesson, right? But, <laughs> but it, 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 it turned out to be a, a valuable, a valuable lesson. So it's very, it's very important to, uh, to, 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 to understand that, you know, at the end of the day. Michael, how do people um, seek wise counsel when it comes to in the, in the investor space, in your opinion? Because it's not easy to vet somebody who maybe, you know, they've had some success or they had some recent success and was like, okay, well, hopefully they can have that success for me. That's a natural thing when you're having to come in and learn. Um, so any ideas of how someone vets and understands Academy is very different than the cut we played at 12 o'clock today, if you will. Like how do how <laughs> people even figure that out if that even makes sense? Well, you know, one thing about wise counsel, man, is, is, is you really, to me, if you are of the mindset, and this is what you said it, Somebody said it earlier. It's like it's one thing to kind of bump your head and make your own mistakes, and you learn mm-hmm. from those. That's that's great. That's actually that's actually a great thing. But if you can leverage the mistakes of others and not have to experience the pain and regrets and stuff, but still get the lessons, that's one of the most, to me, largest indicators of of potential success anybody can have. So one of the things too is like I I had to. Sort of like what Rashad was saying, and and I I can't say enough about that brother because he used to have, and I still have this little this little pin from him. It says "Check your ego" mm-hmm. uh, from years ago, where I was walking around with these blind spots, thinking I was more humble than I actually was. But I was sitting on a you know a, a rocket ship of success, and not seeing the fact that you know I was really fueling my own ego. But what what flipped is. What I do a lot now is I love to listen to people who mm-hmm. have had success in ways that are different from mine and mm-hmm. just really, really listen. And you'll be surprised. I mean, even the guy who owns the building that where, where SC Capital operates out of, I love to listen to him talk about his stories in different mm-hmm. facets of his life because mm-hmm. as he's going, like, like you know, uh, <laughs> we were saying, you know, hey, you're, you're the middle of the third quarter. This is a guy mm-hmm. that he's likely in the end of the fourth quarter. But mm-hmm. as he's traipsed through all these experiences from the first quarter to the fourth quarter of his life, there were so many things that actually helped us survive in our business. And it just came from me just really listening. So I like to go out and listen to people, um, you know, really just seeking them out. And the other thing, though, too, I will tell you is to have friends like Rashad, like Hollywood, like yourself, William, you know, that have had success. Mm-hmm. I will tell you, gentlemen, people like you shape me as a man, as a business person, far more than just any of my own experiences because, again, the collective and the trust factor helps me take the risk and ask right. the questions, you know, and that's really invaluable, I think. So yep. uh, finding you. that community that, that's like that is, is just – like I would seek that out as much as I would seek out capital, you know. No, that's real. That makes sense. Uh, matter of fact, let me ask a pers- kind of a personal question. We had another show I meant to ask this question on, so it's not even it's not even about our investment mistake, but um, like me, even like personally, like learning how to, to do um, some investment, like just with my side money, if you will, have a little stash account, if you will. So this mm-hmm. is something I'm, I'm like I'm just gonna put it on the air because I'm pretty sure maybe other may think like this. But for the most part, I'm kind of a buy and hold type person, take the long-term approach because I'm not interested in, you know, learning how to trade or whatever. I don't want to try to be in the right, pocket right. or something that make the money. That's that's a risk that's above my, my willingness, if you will. But, you know, I do hate to take some discretionary money and do some stash stuff. So 
this is just super simple. I think at least it's simple in my mind, but you can help me understand how this works. So like, for example, um, I have a, a couple of gas stocks, if you will, right. That are kind mm-hmm. of petroleum stocks, if you will. And so uh, for the most part, I look over them as kind of stable, if you will, but I got one that's killing it and I got one that's dropped as of recent. And so again, I don't just buy and trade regular. I might input like once or twice a year, if you will. So I got one of them that's down. And so it's kind of like, man, I think I should throw something at it now. Like, so let's say I, you know, just use a little easy number. So I say, I say if I throw a thousand dollars at it now, and so, and let's say the account is at, I'm just using some easy numbers. Say the account's at 5,000 and I want to throw a thousand while it's, while it's lower. When, <clears throat> when that goes back up, do I have to actually sell to, to actual, actualize that gain? I just, I guess what I don't, I guess what I'm, I don't know if I'm being clear. What I don't understand is yeah. for the most part, if I'm just holding for the most part, I'm not selling no time soon and I'm just holding over the years. I'm trying to understand that jumping in that thousand dollars later, whether it goes up or down, how does that affect the entire portfolio? Does that even make sense? I don't know if you can answer that quickly. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so, so yeah, and that's, that's a great question because again, what you're talking about is the difference between realized gains and losses and then unrealized gains and losses. The, the entire game of a buy and hold, uh, mm-hmm. which has really changed over time, is one in which you never are going to necessarily sell. Again, bringing back up Buffett and buffing like Coca-Cola, for example. Buffett has bought shares of Coca-Cola over the decades, and he you know, probably has, for the larger part of it, has never sold those. So they mm-hmm. have these you know, billions of dollars in worth and value but they're still, quote-unquote, unrealized. Mm-hmm. Now, when you do realize, again, you say, hey, I want to sell this position or I want to sell a portion of the position so that I can actually get some cash from that, that mm-hmm. triggers, you know, the whole, like, you, you're going to realize that gain and mm-hmm. then, or loss. Or in your, and, again, now you're subject to whatever taxes may come of that. Um, you know, one of the funny things of this era among the multi, you know, the centimillionaires and the billionaires is that, they have these giant swaths of portfolios of, you know, sometimes public companies like we're talking about now or even their private companies that they're owning these shares of. What they do is they borrow against it. Mm. <laughs> they borrow against the actual unrealized gain against these, you know, these shares. Well, we know what these shares are, and they mm. actually can use that money that they borrowed and oh, live off wow. of it and not have to pay taxes. Yeah. Wow. Because, uh, quite because it's a loan. No, it yeah, it's sense. a loan. Yeah, it makes sense. Same thing you do, I guess, with a um, what is it, a, a UIL insurance investment. Same, IUL, IUL, similar concept. Well, we got a couple of yeah. minutes, man. Enjoy the conversation, if you will, Michael. Let people know how they can follow you at Blacks if they want to get into investing and trading, and you know, kind of explain maybe the difference so that people understand that you kind of teach both because they're not the same thing. Yeah, they're absolutely not the same. Uh, the the same thing. One of the, if you're really interested or want to know if you know, the world of investing or trading is right for you. You can find us on social media at B-L-A-X-E dot academy. It's just blacks dot academy. You can find us on YouTube. I've got a lot of free stuff out there. Also on Instagram at blacks dot academy. And then, of course, our website is B-L-A-X-E dot academy, just HTTP. So come check us out. Uh, again, we're, we're about teaching mastery of skills. 
uh, not guaranteeing any profits or gains or any of that thing that's that's not realistic, but it's really about trying to create game changers for our communities and for the future. I love it. William, I don't know if you have any public information you want to share. I know you got businesses, so if you want to share anything, please do. Yeah. Yeah, my uh, point of contact and uh, central central point of contact is uh, LinkedIn. So if you guys just go on LinkedIn, type in William P, as in Patrick, in the middle, Agnew. Uh, you can find me there. Just follow me. I'd, I'd, I appreciate it. I, you know, I welcome you guys to follow me on uh, LinkedIn. Let's connect and uh, do some business. No, I love it. Thank you all. Great show today. Uh, for anybody out there listening, we have Making Money Matter Mondays. Uh, we're discussing romance, romance without finance with our Ashley Thomas, our finance coach. So if you want to get in on that, you do have to DM me if you're following me. I'll end the show with a commercial from Making Money Matter. See you all next Saturday. All I ask is that you think. All right, gentlemen. Enjoy it. Are you intimidated by money? Well, this is a question most people never think to ask themselves. But when forced to think about it, many people realize they have unrecognized fears that truly affect how they deal with money. If you want to learn more about money and the fears that keep you from prosperity, join us for Making Money Matter Mondays, where money meets mental health with personal finance coach Ashley Thomas and psychotherapist Dr. Katrina Pitts. Every second Monday of the month, find out if you're intimidated by money and what to do about it. To receive a link to this free Zoom event, please DM the Making Money Matter or the Mentor Dialogue Instagram pages or contact 404-604-9477. Did you know that Pepsi has partnered with Racetrack so you can enjoy the big game on Sunday in the best way? This Friday through Sunday only, if you buy a whole extra large pizza at regular price at any participating Racetrack location, you get a free 2-liter Pepsi with the Racetrack Rewards app. Yeah, that's right. Man, forget this. Let's head to Racetrack to get our extra large pizza and free Pepsi. Offer available at participating Racetrack locations from February 9th through 11th or while supplies last.